Well, hey, we are going to dig in in a new series today. Uh, it's actually going to be one that we're going to be walking through for several months and even not be done after several months. But we're going to do this in a couple installments, actually. And if you didn't notice the front of the bulletin, uh, take a look. It is entitled The Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I'll talk a little bit more about why we chose that title. But we are in the book of Acts. And if you would, pull out um, the yellow card that is in your bulletin. Uh, Some of you may remember that in years past, we as a church have done uh, like a Bible reading plan together where we did either New Testament or the whole Bible. And so each month you got a new card. Well, it's been a while since we've done anything like that. And as you'll note on the card, one of the values here at ECOB, um, or excuse me, one of the measurements of, of how we become more like Christ are minds devoted to truth. And so we want to really encourage one another as we walk through the book of Acts to be reading together. Now, uh, the bad news is, is you're already behind. The good news is you've got the homework for the rest of the time. Because what we want you to do is we actually want you to prepare for worship together as you read uh, before the coming week. So today you'll have to catch up. But then for coming weeks, what we want you to do is to read and even pray through that scripture Do a little study if you want, and then as you come together, we come together on Sunday mornings, we can uh, learn and seek to apply God's Word to our life as we learn about Him and ourselves. So uh, this is a great uh, size. You can stick it in your Bible as a reminder. You can put it um, on your refrigerator, wherever is handy to you, Uh, but we encourage you uh, to devote your mind to truth as we walk through the book of Acts. We're actually going to begin right at the beginning in chapter 1 today, and I've got no catchy little story to start us off because I want us to dig in, and we've got a bit to cover today because I want to help lay out a little bit for you, a little bit of an overview of what this book is about. And while it it may seem like um, it this isn't super relevant for us for the beginning. It actually creates a foundation for us for this entire study. Um, And what a great opportunity. If you've never really studied a book of the Bible, here you go. Here's an opportunity for us to do that together. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about this book of Acts before we actually kind of dig into pieces of these first 11 verses. But to do that, I want to actually read the first two verses because they provide some links and some clues for us. So if you would, this will be on the screen. Uh, Turn to your Bible. Again, um, with reading along, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to stop by the Life at Home Resource Center. We've got copies of God's Word out there. We'd be glad to share that with you so you can walk along together with the rest of your church family. Acts 1 chapter, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So I want to pause here because this begins to shape what the book of Acts not only is about, but how it came about. So The first clue is in my former book. Um, What you know about the book of Acts is if you study historically is that it is actually kind of a volume two to the gospel of Luke written by 
Dr. Luke himself. And so Luke is a part one of volume one, and Acts is a volume two of one great work by Dr. Luke, written about three to five years, depending on who you ask, apart from one another. Now, this is important for us as we move forward, because what you will see from Luke to Acts is you will see a carrying forth of many things, and we'll talk about those in a moment. But the second thing that I want to point out right now is this guy named Theophilus. We'll call him Theo. Theo is actually a co-worker and a traveling companion with Paul. But so was, according to some, Dr. Luke. And so they were friends. And for whatever reason, Theo, he supported the writing of this account. So think about it this way, is that in this time, to put together an account was not as simple as it is for us today. Jump on the computer, throw it on your blog, everybody knows it. No, there was a lot of work involved in this to write it out and to create an account of it. And what we'll notice is that Luke sought to create a solid evidence for who Jesus was and what he was doing. And in that, he needed people like Theo to come around him, encourage him, support him. Some would even say support him financially that he could do this. And so those two pieces help us start to create a link between the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Before we go any further, I want to go back to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It'll be on your screen. And this will create another link for us. Again, this is Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The first volume. Luke says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself, Luke says, have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And then verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. There's the purpose. And that purpose carries into the book of Acts. It's always helpful for us not just to read Scripture just from what we see on the page, but to understand the context of it, which is why when we go back to Luke 1, it's so important that really not only in in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, but also in Acts, what Dr. Luke is trying to do is to lay out an eyewitness account as well as provide evidence for those who believe. Perhaps think of it this way, is that it's one thing to be told something by somebody, it's another to read an account of something, almost a journal of what took place. It was an incredibly important task at that time. And I think what is significant for us to think about is look at how Dr. Luke and Theophilus allowed God to use them. Sometimes in our world we think that we have to be scholars or we have to be a Christian for so long or we have to have certain credentials. What we know and what we'll actually see throughout the book of Acts is that we see people living generously, allowing God to use them any way to further the kingdom and the gospel. Let that be a challenge to us. 
Now I want to do a couple word pictures for us. And this is actually going to cover the book of Acts as a whole. The first picture I want to give you is a picture of a pathway. This is a pathway. I don't know about you, but I want to go there. I have no idea where it's at, but it looks really cool. But this pathway in this big open field or pasture is a bit of a guide to walk through what is otherwise a rather open space. Now, I know some of you like to go off the path and take your own path. Here's what I want us to think about with the book of Acts. The book of Acts, the first picture that I think will help us as we move forward is that this book helps us see disciples who were following Jesus walk the path to learn how to live by the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus was with the disciples in his earthly ministry. We read that in the book of Luke. But what we're about to see, we're about to read, and at the end of Luke, Jesus ascends after his resurrection, after about 40 days, ascends into heaven. And so because of that, the one who was with the disciples in the flesh, day after day, was no longer there. Now, for us who live in this time, we do not have the body of Jesus with us walking through life, which is why Acts is important for us, because we're going to see stories of disciples who learn how to live by the Holy Spirit, just like we must. So it is a pathway for us, the book of Acts, to serve us and equip us in how to walk with the Spirit of God. So in Luke... Luke says, or excuse me, in Luke, Jesus began to do and teach is what was recorded. In the book of Acts, what Luke records is how Jesus continued to do and to teach. Pathway. Everybody say pathway for me. Okay, next one. The next image we have is a doorway. Now, doorways are significant because they take us from one place to another place. And they can become very helpful for us to get there quickly, expediently. What the challenge is, is we don't always know what's on the other side of the door. Now, I know for us in in this time in history, we know, if you've read the Bible, you know much about the life of Jesus, the life of the early church. But it is helpful for us to see the book of Acts as a doorway. Gospel of Luke was writings about the life of Jesus on this earth. What Acts serves is the doorway to the life of the church of Jesus Christ. If you just go to one of the gospel, or excuse me, one of the letters to the churches and don't have the book of Acts, you're going to have some missing pieces. You're going to wonder, how did the church form? Guess what? We're going to get a we're going to get a view, a picture, a window into a doorway to what the transition from not only Jesus's life but then the church as the body of Jesus Christ. So we've got a pathway, and then secondly, we've got, what is it? A doorway. So I want us to see Acts in both of those, but I've got one more. This first picture, many of you may know the picture, what it is. What is that? Anybody know? Golden Gate Bridge. Haven't been there. How many have been there? 
Oh, not as many in this service as the first service. Interesting. Um, on the bucket list, I want to go there. You guys know me. You know that I, at, with an architectural background, I love, I, I love structures, particularly structures that have an art, structures that have an artistic value to them. It's just a magnificent sight to see, even though we've seen perhaps a lot of pictures of it. It is what. A bridge. Yeah, it wasn't a trick question. Um, you're all like, ah, uh, no, it's a bridge, okay? So in this case, a bridge connects two pieces of land over a body of water. Sometimes a bridge just has a chasm. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a really deep chasm, and the bridge um, makes that connection between one land mass and the other. But the key here. And what I want us to see with the book of Acts, it's not only a pathway, it's also a doorway, but it is a narrative and historical bridge from the gospel accounts to the letters to the churches. From the gospel accounts to the letters of the churches. Again, if you pick up the book of Colossians and start reading Paul's letter to the church at Coloss, you're going to read that. And if you don't have the book of Acts to help you understand how we got from Jesus' life on earth to the church many years down the road, you're not going to have a full picture. Here's what's tricky. The book of Acts was written at about 60 AD. Some of the letters to the churches were written before that. But here's what Acts does. Acts gives the only account of the 30 years right after Jesus' ascension. The only account in the Bible. 30 years. So we've got the first 30 years, Luke says, I want to tell you what happened with Jesus. I want to tell you about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you about the birth of the church. Those of you that may not be history fans may think, why is this crucial? It is crucial because what we will begin to learn about more in this study is what we've been focusing on this year as a church and this idea of become and understanding our identity as Christians, followers of Jesus, but also identity of what it means to be the church. Perhaps you've heard in Christian circles before, oh, I just wish we could, we could be an Acts 2 church. It's the early church, the initial church. We'll be studying that in just a little while, in a couple of weeks. But really what we need a picture of is all that God was doing through his Holy Spirit. So let's dig in a little bit farther. Now you've got a bit of a foundation. So we've got a pathway, we've got a doorway, but we also have a historical narrative bridge. Let's take a look at verse 3. After his suffering, that is Jesus, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Verse 5. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you go to the end of the account of the Gospel of Luke, what you will do is you will see there um, an, a, 
a picture of the story. In other words, what Luke is doing here at the beginning of Acts, it's a bit of a literary tool. He says, let me take us back, and I'm going to overlap somewhat of the same story. Here's what's fascinating to me with this and why this is relevant to us today. Wait for the gift my father promised. Wait for the gift my father promised. How many of you like to wait? Okay, a few liars out there. All right, good. It's incredibly difficult to wait. But I'll tell you what I have learned. As I look at this passage of Scripture, Jesus Christ is giving instruction. In his final earthly days before his ascension, he is preparing the disciples. I love that Luke begins the book of Acts with this. And it is important for our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. Being a disciple means we must wait at times on God. It's not fun. In fact, it's rarely fun. It's often painful. It's often unknown of why. In some cases, we never learn why on this earth we have to wait. But I am here to tell you, as Luke records, Jesus has instructed his disciples to wait. We must learn to receive that instruction. We must learn to receive that instruction from God himself. Because some of the greatest gifts, some of the greatest blessings, some of the greatest times of walking close to God happen when we're waiting. I said in the first service, and it's a very tough thing for me to say, but it's true in God's economy. Sometimes waiting for a diagnosis is the best thing that can happen. Because it gives us opportunity to understand who God is and who we are not. It gives us understanding and an ability to turn our control over to God. What do we like to do? We like to get at it, get it done. Even if we have no clue what to do, we go running at it. I mean, that's me. I think it's true of a lot of us. We like to think as we get older, the longer we follow Jesus Christ, that we have mastered this ability to be patient, this ability to wait on God. I think sometimes it gets harder. But it doesn't mean it's any less valuable. Think about this. Jesus has rose from the dead. I mean, there is a catalyst for anything, right? Anything worth anything as you believe in Jesus. And the first thing... One of the first things I should say, Jesus says, okay, wait, really? Come on. This is not this contemporary, wait for it, wait for it. Jesus is not building suspense and drama here. What he's building is trust of his disciples to be disciples of Jesus. It's incredibly relevant for us. This modern society we live in, we are pulled into so many times thinking that we know more. Oh, well, those those poor guys, they, they had to be told that. They really didn't know what was going on. The reality is we need waiting on God more than ever in our lives. It feels incredibly ineffective. It feels wrong in a lot of ways. 
But I tell you what it does is it builds our trust in him. It builds our trust. It's an acknowledgement. And I think it's incredibly helpful for us because what they were waiting for was something they absolutely needed. And that was the Holy Spirit, the gift. It would be easy for us to say, well, we already have the gift. If we're a believer in Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us that we receive the Holy Spirit. So I've got the gift. Why do I have to wait? You can run ahead of the gift. You can go at things on your own power and your own dependence, bringing, dragging, pulling Jesus in the Spirit along when you want. That's not a life in Jesus Christ. That's a charade. That's looking good for everybody else except for the one you should look good for, and that is God the Father. I think the other thing about gifts from God is they are hard to receive. Now, not when they're what we want. We get gifts from people, and some of you, your love language is giving and receiving gifts, and that's great. That's a beautiful thing. But it's very different in the eyes of God. And here's why. Our gift, one of our gifts from God, was his dead son. And so you look at that and you think, wow. Now, you hopefully understand that that was only part of the story. It was the fact that his son rose again from the dead. But if you look initially at that gift, it seems all wrong. It seems so not what you need for your life. I have watched a lot of people be diagnosed with an illness. So have many of you. And the last thing that we want to say to them is, you've been given a gift by God. But do we believe that it can be? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not trying to make light of anybody's troubles. But I will tell you, as I have witnessed firsthand, is that sometimes that diagnosis is an opportunity for us to love Jesus and for us to know we are a child of God in greater ways than we can ever imagine, even though initially it sure doesn't look like it. Here's why. It teaches us to be obedient. The disciples had to follow Jesus' instruction here, just like we must today. But it also required them to put their faith into action and be obedient. Obedience is a fun thing to talk about. It's not so fun to do. (laughs) The book of Acts is going to show us what obedience looks like in the life of a disciple. Common men and women that would blend in very much in our lives today. Like many of us. All of us. Yet you are going to see the gift of God, empower them in ways in the book of Acts that is possible for those of us who believe today. It's a gift. I want to move on. Verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going to, at this time, restore the kingdom of Israel? Here's what's funny about this, is that the disciples had questions after questions. We should too, honestly, If our faith is anything, it doesn't mean that we don't have questions. In fact, it should stir questions in us because we want to draw close. We want to know what it really means to follow Jesus. 
We want our faith to be real and sincere, not superficial. And so like most of what happened in the book of Luke in those accounts is every time Jesus said something, it raised more questions. So the disciples, having known Jesus for a little while, said, hey, we got a question. And here's the question. So when's it going to happen? Tell me, when's it going to happen? What they're referring to is the fact that Jesus, throughout his life on this earth, kept speaking of the fact that he would rule and he would reign. He would take over. And they couldn't wait. Okay, Jesus, you rose from the dead. You said you'd do it. Now when's it going to happen? And what does Jesus do? He doesn't answer the question. Typical Jesus, right? Well, he kind of does. But what he says when they're asking, so what's, what, when's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? What do we get to do? Where can we watch from? Because this is going to be really cool. Because in their minds, like most minds, the traditional view of Jesus, the Messiah's reign and rule, would be to come and take over Rome. Take care of him. Those mean, enslaved people that we were enslaved to, they said. And Jesus says, let me tell you something. Verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Talk about deflating the balloon. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, guys, let me just tell you what's important. The timeline isn't important. Think about this in your life. We want to know so much about what's going to happen when in our lives. And I believe sometimes in the midst of that, we miss the real issues, the real questions, the real, the real points that we should live. Some have said, I want to know when I'm going to die. I don't know that I do. And I don't know that it should change how we live. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, should we be as compelled to live that life now, whether we have one day left or 30 years left? But what's interesting here is Luke, excuse me, Jesus speaks to really what the kingdom is about. Look at Luke 17, chapter 17, verse 20 and 21 on the screen. Again, this goes back to volume 1. Luke draws this account up of once on being asked by the Pharisees, Jesus was asked, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. What's happening here is that Jesus is saying to them, you're worried about times, and the reality is is you need to have a better understanding of the kingdom. And the understanding of the kingdom is not me coming and ruling over everything. The understanding is that this kingdom, the kingdom of God, is a spiritual kingdom. And guess what? You're it. You're it. And so what he's about to say in verse 8, he kind of foreshadows here. And he's already talked about it a little bit in the gift. And is this gift of the person of the Holy Spirit. 
Stop worrying about what I'm going to do, Jesus says, and let's talk about how you are going to testify about me. And so then it comes, verse 8. If you want to impress somebody, let me tell you this. Memorize verse 8 of chapter 1. It is essentially the summary and the outline of the book of Acts. So, you want to look good in front of somebody? There you go. Acts. You memorize this verse and you've got the book of Acts. Because it speaks of two things. And the first is this. You will receive power. So now the question of when and how is just Jesus has ever so slightly just moved it off the table and says, no, we're going to talk about the real kingdom, and that's the spiritual kingdom. And let me tell you, you are it because the Holy Spirit is going to be in you, and guess what? This is not any old person. This is the Spirit of God. This is the Spirit of of me, Jesus said, a part of the Trinity. And what it means is it will be the source for everything in your life if you are to follow Jesus. It's an empowerment. I think what's interesting, and I remember in youth ministry, kids always got super excited about Holy Spirit because I don't know if it's true today, but it's like, ooh, what's going to happen? What's going to... And, and I think it happens in us adults too because we're looking for these maybe great, big, grand, dramatic things. And the reality is the power of the Holy Spirit helps you live for Jesus every day. Every day. Which is harder. It's harder than a big, wow, awesome shock and all. It is getting up every morning and everything in your life tells you, I don't want to follow Jesus today because I'm upset, I don't like this, and I am grumpy. But what the Holy Spirit does, Holy Spirit, he does not just give us a spirit of strength and power. He gives us a confidence and a boldness which is going to be incredibly crucial for what Jesus is about to say. And it's as important for us today as it ever has been. Because in a world that is less and less accepting, less and less honoring, less and less believing in who God and his word is, we need the strength of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you, it doesn't matter what is going on in your life. As a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is the key. He is the key. Now you see why Acts is important. Because you're going to watch men and women learn how to live in the Spirit. Authority in heaven. All authority in heaven and earth. If you want to learn a little bit more about the Holy Spirit, we'll talk more about it uh, in coming weeks. But you can go to John 14, 15 through 18. And what you will see in that, what you will learn in that, is that sometimes the Holy Spirit's role is simply a comfort. When fear embraces you and you want to scream and run from everything, the Holy Spirit gives you a peace and a calm. Not the big shock and awe and dramatic event, but it is as powerful as any of those things. Because when you're fearful, what do you need? You need the peace of God. That's what you need. That's what I need. But now look at the second statement. You will be my witnesses. Here it is right here. This is the start of the church. 
You want to know where you came from as a church? Right here. You can look at Matthew 28, of course, when Jesus gives the Great Commission. This is an echo of that commission, but it's the same premise. You will be my witnesses. What are we going to do? What are we going to do, Jesus? You get to be my witnesses. Uh, that's how we often respond, isn't it? It's hard. But I will tell you, is that what the Word of God tells us is that every one of you, as a believer in Jesus, you are a witness. Dan, I've never been on a mission trip. Who cares? Your mission field starts when you walk out that door. So you have been on a mission trip. Every single one of you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been on a mission trip. You are on a mission trip every day of your life. And so Jesus commissions them right there. He gives them a divine purpose, which translates into our day and age. To every believer, you have a divine purpose. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you will not understand, you will not get, you cannot be a witness in the power of the Holy Spirit. But as ones who have received, you will see it as not only something that is a part of every, every aspect of our lives, but something that every one of us are called to. Look at this graphic right here. This is a graphic you'll find in a lot of studies and stuff. And, and this essentially is a, a kind of a visual verse 8. You see the small circle down in the right-hand corner. That's Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. But he doesn't stop there, Jesus nor the Holy Spirit. But in Judea and Samaria, you can see that circle gets a little bit bigger. And then look at that next circle, all the way to Rome. If you made it to Rome, that was the culmination because Rome was the capital, the political power, the rule. What we are going to read in the next weeks ahead is the transformation of a world all the way to Rome where an empire was blown away with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You would have asked these guys, hey, what are you going to do as witnesses? What do you think is going to happen? If we'd have done an interview, that's the last thing they would have said. You know what? I think we're going to, I think we're going to get it to Rome. No. That's a supernatural, supernatural mission of God. So think about all the places where you can't imagine, and I'm talking hearts, all of the hearts that right now you can't imagine that Jesus and the gospel could ever penetrate. Let me tell you, it's not out of the realm of God. It's not. No matter how much you've written someone off and you've done everything you can do, pray, pray, pray that the Spirit of God would overtake them because that's what happened in Rome. It went there, men and women used by God. And so we have an outline of what we're going to study. Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria and, Samaria and Judea, which is largely Peter's story and John's story. And then old Paul comes into the picture and he blows it up because he says, God, I'm yours. You knew it was going to come. How are you inspired to live as a witness? You may not think it matters. It does matter. Because if you're a believer today, somebody witnessed to you. 
and oh, the life of Jesus and walking with him is so good. It's so good. That's why we as a church have embraced the mission of sharing life and sharing Christ. And I absolutely believe as we walk through this in the next weeks, I can't wait to be amazed at how the Holy Spirit will work in each of you as believers. I'm going to close with this. Verses 9 through 11, as you read it later. But essentially this is the end of this section and it's this bridge. And what it is, is it says Jesus will come back. Oh, didn't we know that? Think about this. So Jesus has given this commission. He has commissioned them, and they're there. And he says, you're going to be my witnesses. And next thing you know it, he's off in the clouds. And this is one of the most hysterical parts in this book. I don't know if anybody else sees it. But you've got these guys standing there doing this. And what, is, what happens? God sends two angels. Two angels and says, what are you doing, basically? Why are you standing and watching? Get at it. He's coming back. He's coming back. That should be our conviction and motivation. Because Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. And we will have to stand before him. And the amount of Bible studies and the amount of church services and the amount of of this and that. That's not what God's looking for. Not unless it's based in a heart devoted to God. But otherwise, it's just stuff. And so I want us to walk away, moving into the rest of this book, realizing that him coming back is also an assurance and a hope. You see, all the work that you're going to do as witnesses from this day forward and from any day in the past, it's not for lost because Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And what a joy will it be when you and I stand before our Savior and say, Jesus, I didn't do it perfectly, but I gave everything I had, seeking to be instructed by the Holy Spirit and being obedient to the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that you use that in the lives of some to bring them to you. You all know... And I can tell you any pastor that has ever served here at ECOB. It is a conviction of ours, and I speak of all the pastors in the past. Is that we have been called individually and collectively as pastors of this church. Because we believe God has great things in store for this church. And so with all that I have and all that I am in Jesus, we're not going to let up. But I will tell you, I can't push a rope. We all must get in. We all must continue to embrace the calling to witness before us. And I will tell you that we won't be the same. Praise God. The acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Notice we didn't pick disciples. Here's why. If we focus on Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we will be the church. Those two characters are the only 
primary characters that go through the entire book of Acts. It's not Peter. It's not Paul. It's not John. It is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So I invite you, and maybe today to start this journey, is that if you aren't sure of your salvation in Jesus Christ and the life-transforming power that he is, then I invite you to come forward and pray. If you have made that decision and commitment, then I invite you to worship with all your heart and soul and then buckle up because God's going to take us on a journey through the book of Acts. Father, I pray for us as a church family. And I would ask that as we devote our minds to truth, is God, you would shape us and form us. Help us to understand the identity we see as Christians and as the church in the book of Acts. Lead us this day into our mission field. And may we be witnesses to you. Receive our worship. Receive the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.